Welcome back to the Sip and Feast podcast. Today we're going to talk about movie scenes, food scenes specifically in movies, good and bad. We're going to debate these. There are plenty of them. We thought we did a good job of selecting the ones for today. Tara, what do you think about that? I think we selected the ones that we like personally. I also think that they are some of the most iconic scenes that many of you will probably agree with or at least be familiar with. But again, as Jim said, if there's any that we missed or if you want us to talk about more food scenes, let us know which ones you want to hear about. We'll get into that in a couple minutes. Let's just talk about food news really quickly. Tara, what do you got? Today, one of the items in food news is regarding the brand Bon Maman. Are you familiar with that brand, Jim? I'm not. You are, though. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) They make jam and jelly. Yes, Yes. now right right away it comes to mind. Yeah, they're a French company. I've actually loved their brand for, for a long time. They've unveiled their 2023 limited edition advent calendar. And I love advent calendars. I grew up like always having an advent calendar that was filled with like really disgusting, cheap chocolate, but I think they're fun. So while I do think it's a little early to talk about Christmas and and advent and these things, the story did jump out at me because I love the idea of the calendar and because I love the brand. So it's going to feature 23 mini spreads and one honey for each day of Advent. Eight of these will be new flavors that they've come up with, which are limited edition. And those include apricot and banana, peach with jasmine flower, pineapple and ginger, cherry with pink peppercorn, sweet orange mandarin, and passion fruit. I actually just placed an order for these today because I thought that some of these spreads would be really good to use around Christmas time for our Linzer cookies, which we usually fill with raspberry jam, but I thought it would be really cool to just include some of these. Yeah, I I guess I can get behind that more than the chocolate. It's not just something like you eat on that day. You can, I'm I'm sure they're like really tiny jars, but you could use them ongoing. You put them on scones and all sorts of things. Ooh, scones, I love scones. Yes. Yeah, we're gonna do some uh, more of those uh, in the coming months. I think we need to get a couple more. Yeah, we only have the chocolate chip. Yeah. Scones up. Let us know if you love scones. We'll do like 10 of them because they're so easy to make. Up next, food news. DiGiorno, the pizza, frozen pizza company, is coming out with a pizza that is going to infuriate people. It's topped with pineapples and pickles. <laughs> and apparently this was done in response to another TikTok trend. It's a pickle pizza uh, trend on TikTok. The pies will actually not be available in stores. They will be limited to one pie per person via their website. And the website goes live on September 5th. If it, it infuriates and people are talking about it, then DiGiorno has won. That's what, you know, remember there's no, no like publicity, any publicity, is good publicity. And that's what you get with TikTok. Right now, TikTok is by far the most popular of all platforms, uh, more so than than YouTube or anything. And who knows how long that'll last. But for now, it is TikTok and DiGiorno as a company. It's their right to do that if mm-hmm. they want to make money. And yeah. that's what companies normally like and to do. And the fact that they're like limiting it to one per person, you have to order through their website. I mean, it's just smart on their part. Yeah, it's, it gives that whole supply uh, and scarcity demand. scarcity yeah. issue and you know, you get a you got a special item, select you know, they should they should number them like a like a King Kade uh, art piece of artwork, you know? <laughs> Don't buy Kincaids, all right? 
Not a good investment ever. Let's move on to the topic of this episode, which is iconic movie scenes that involve food. One of my favorite food scenes from a movie, and this particular scene does not involve cooking at all. It just involves, I think, really good cinematography. If that's a, I don't even know if that's the right word. But when I watch this scene, it makes me want to eat what the person is eating. And that is the big kahuna burger scene where Samuel L. Jackson's character in Pulp Fiction, Jules, he's taking a bite of the big kahuna burger and he is washing it down with a Sprite. And I don't know if it's the camera angle or the lighting on the burger, but it doesn't just make me want to eat a burger. It makes me want to like share that very same burger with Samuel L. And I want to drink from the same cup and the same straw that he's drinking from. For those of you that don't know, <laughs> Pulp Fiction is a very popular movie that came out, I believe, in 1995. Maybe it was 94. I was in high school at the time. And it propelled Quentin Tarantino to become probably one of the top three or four directors that are that's alive today. I mean, he doesn't do a lot of movies. That particular scene, which I've seen probably 50 times, because I've seen the movie 50 times, though the majority of those times were all kind of concentrated around that time period in the early 2000s. It's been, it's been a long time, so I had to refresh myself with the movie. That particular scene does a great job of, I think the bun looks amazing in that scene. Mm -hmm. So it's like the perfect looking bun. Mm -hmm. Now, not in like a fancy type of way. It's kind of like the bun that you'd get at a, I'm trying to think of a burger place in Long Island to equate to it. Maybe All American Burger in Massapequa. Yeah. Not McDonald's because McDonald's does a sesame seed, though it is similar to a McDonald's bun uh, for the, like the cheeseburger, like mm -hmm. a single cheeseburger. Yeah. It was greasy. He grabbed yeah. it the way it zoomed in on it and he ate it. And obviously he was position of power there over the soon to be victims. Uh, <laughs> Maybe that's what was so enticing about it is that he was basically taking this guy, this guy's burger. Yeah, who comes and eats your food? It's an ultimate power move. But he, yeah, he knows he's going to, you know, get rid of the guy. And he takes his burger and he takes a sip of his tasty beverage to wash it all down. And it's just... Yeah. I don't know. It's just so good. They stuck that mic right in the beverage, like when he, right near it, when he was sucking that soda down. Yeah, and was, then he drinks the whole soda on the guy, too. Yeah. <laughs> like he so so that's a good one. If you haven't seen Pulp Fiction, I mean, obviously Pulp Fiction is not about food. It's about a lot of other things that are not food. It's um, arguably uh, Tarantino's best. I don't think he's done anything better than that. And that was like his first movie. Mm -hmm. Let's move on to the next one. Next is, I think it's, it's a favorite scene of the both of, ours, and that's the Goodfellas prison sauce. Most of these that we're talking about here, we've seen a lot because you, you, uh, you're going to say, Jim, you, Jim, Tara, you missed this one or that one. Well, we didn't want to just watch that scene right before we did this for you. These are the ones that we can talk a lot about because we've both seen these movies plenty of times. I went back and watched the Goodfellas because we did a little research for this one. I watched the Goodfellas prison scene and you know, I mean, granted, it's a movie made in the 90s. Uh, the cameras they were using, the cinematography, everything is not, you know, it's not like The Bear now. The Bear, which is a show, so we're not going to talk about that one in this list with movies, is amazing. I mean, The Bear's over the top, like the scenes. And you probably watched that one too, I would assume, because it's one of the most popular food shows uh, on TV right now. 
But it's not like that. There's no ultra slow motion shots or anything in Goodfellas. It's uh, very just more about the food. Mm-hmm. I particularly loved the part. Well, Tara, set up the part. Set up the whole scene for people. What happened there? All right. So there, Henry Hill and, and Paulie and a few of the others are all in prison, right? And in order for them to make their Sunday dinner, I'm assuming this is on a Sunday, they have to smuggle in ingredients like bread and salami and wine and scotch and uh, a few other things. Um, but the scene kind of... They had it, lobsters, too. They brought in. Remember, yeah. they were like, packed on ice. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of walking you through like the scene where Paulie is slicing the garlic with a razor blade to make it ultra thin so that it dissolves easily in the oil. And then the other guy is going a little heavy on the onions, right? Yeah, so the guy who was actually going heavy on the onions, I believe, is uh, Scorsese's father. It's funny because that's such a typical thing of what people would argue argue with in an Italian-American family. It would be too many onions, not enough garlic. Yeah. Ooh, you didn't put garlic in there at all. Or yeah. well, they're like, three onions? He's like, How many, how many cans of how many cans of tomatoes did you use? And he's like, I used three. Yeah. He goes, three on he goes, they were small onions. They was you know, so that was like yeah. that would be the typical banter I think that you would get. And I think that would be what people would really complain about or Oh, the meatballs don't have enough garlic or, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Robert De Niro's character is Jimmy. Uh, I don't think Joe Pesci wasn't in jail with them. That was that was so. the difference. Yeah. So Paulie was, the, like, the main cook. Uh, Paulie was, like, kind of like the commander. He would be, I remember, like, the scene when Henry smuggled the stuff in. And the whole thing is they paid the guards off, so they had, like, their own wing of the jail. And, and <laughs> it wasn't, like, jail, really, for them. But Henry, uh, that's when he starts pulling out the salami, uh, prosciutto, yeah. scotch. The and wine. And then the wine. Paul, the, the Paulie wine. says, uh, now we can eat right yeah, when Paul, the wine yeah, gets there he pulls out the wine he goes i got red wine and then right as he says that paul he's like now we can eat and he's like i got white he's like bring both to the table you know and then yeah. it's just it's just a typical meal that obviously people don't have in prison they have you know at the at their table <laughs> do you want me to talk about the other goodfellas scene or i don't think we can avoid bringing that one up yeah and honestly i don't even know what they were eating in that scene other than the fact that sauce and they had bread it was just typical sunday i don't think it i don't think it was that i think it was like a bunch of stuff look they had there to, was ketchup on the table because i remember de niro like ketchup. rubbing the ketchup in between his hands yeah you're right about that but whatever it is they show up Tommy, who's Joe Pesci, they show up at Tommy's mother's house in the middle of the night. They need to get a piece of equipment to take care yeah. of a, a problem. Get rid of the deer. They show up and, you know, in true, you know, Italian mom fashion, sh- Tommy's mother has to cook them a big meal yeah. and she has to feed them. So it's like the middle of the night and, and that's what they're doing. They're all sitting around eating. And like I said, I don't remember what it is that they were eating. I just remember the way that everything looked good and it looked like, you know, a table that would be inviting and something that you'd you'd want to eat. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it was so inviting. Uh, just, you know, different difference of opinion here. <laughs> I, I And I don't really think the prison scene either. I think the prison scene was more about what they had than the yeah. actual cooking itself. Well, you wouldn't choose to be in either one of those situations. No. So I think sim- the food is kind of symbolic of, Very you know, brings them together no matter what is kind of going on around them. The stereotypical Italian-American fare for the people who, you know, if you grew up in, in New York, New Jersey, and, you know, your parents, grandparents, whatever, like, it's it's just, that's what it was. It's not, there was nothing, I mean, they weren't making risotto in in prison. No. You know, and yeah. they, never, they never would be. Scorsese knows exactly what should have been there and he think he covered it 
covered it at 100%. Like Mm -hmm. he didn't miss a thing in in it. All right, let's move on to the next one. The next food scene that really stood out to me, I only saw this movie once. I saw it probably 20 years ago. And this scene always just jumped out at me. It the movie's called Dinner Rush. Okay? It's a good movie. It is a good movie. If you if you enjoy food and watching food be prepared, it's great for that. But the scene that stood out for me and that I remembered, you know, twenty years later, was the chef was preparing for. I think he was preparing it for a celebrity who was who was visiting the restaurant. Who I believe the celebrity was can played. I, can I read the whole s- synopsis for people of the movie? Yeah, go ahead. It's one unlucky evening. Louis Cropa, that's who's played by Danny Aiello. He's a part-time bookmaker. He discovers that his restaurant has become a hotbed of conflicting characters. In addition to having to please a whiny food critic, who's Sandra Bernhardt, Louis must fend off a hostile takeover from a pair of gangsters to whom his sous chef is in debt. Further, Lewis is in an argument with his son, played by Eduardo Ballerini. Um, he's the star chef uh, whose culinary creativity has brought success to the business. So yeah, it's like in the kitchen yep. and it's one night in the restaurant. That's right. So it's it wasn't a celebrity. It was Sandra Bernhard playing a food critic that he's making this meal for. And it's like a lobster with champagne sauce. And in the scene, they show everything in the kitchen. He's breaking down the lobster. He's making the champagne cream sauce. He's deep frying these noodles that when he plates the dish. To give height to the plate. Yeah. So like a fancy restaurant, it's not just about the food that's flat on the plate, that how it tastes, it's about how it looks. That's right. And then he tops it with caviar and fried vanilla beans too. Yeah. And it's just this outrageous looking. Outrageous is what it is. It was just uh, like decadence, over the top decadence that a lot of people wouldn't like. And a lot of people would argue lobster, when you do that, you kind of uh, you kind of ruin it. Yeah. I mean, I much prefer lobster just with a little bit of butter. Good movie. Crowded kitchen, you know, which would be a typical, you know, it takes place in the city. I think it's romanticized a lot, you know, from Tony Bourdain and from, you know, other people that work in these places. But, you know, when you go through the city, you know, it's always the basement where everything's stored and the super tight kitchens and just really hard work for most of the people that work there. And 99.999% of these restaurant workers are not making a lot of money. They're busting their butt every night. It's smelly, it's sweaty, there's roaches. You know, that's just a standard thing about all food establishments. It tends to be glamorized a lot and it's not as glamorous. And and forget about all the drugs and, you know, addiction and all that in restaurants, which Tony Bourdain did a great job of talking about in his book that made him famous. You know, he was, he was addicted. And, um, but yeah, I think that I think it really set the stage a lot for a lot of the newer movies that are out today. Mm-hmm. Even though it never it never made it was never fam- it wasn't a famous movie at all. That's but it was right. a good movie. Yeah, it's a highly rated movie too. For better or worse, I I always look for movies based on what it gets on Rotten Tomatoes, and you know that's that has its own problems because I'm like looking for two hours to find a movie. But yeah, that was one when I think Rotten Tomatoes just came out, and I was like, Tara, we have to watch this movie mm-hmm. Dinner Rush. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to the next one. The next one I've got on the list also involves burgers. And you're going to see see just how mature I really am when I mention the name of this movie. And it's Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. Great movie. The whole movie, they're trying to get to White Castle. There's, I guess, only one White Castle in the area. I think it's supposed to take place somewhere near Princeton in New Jersey. 
and there's only one White Castle, and they spend the entire movie trying to get there, and all sorts of weird things happen to them along the way, including some weird encounter with Neil Patrick Harris. But And the guy from Law and Order, um, who is that guy in the woods. What's that guy's? I don't remember that yeah, guy's name. He's a famous actor, yeah, too. Yeah, but there's like 10, 15 different things that happen to them along the way. And at the end of the movie, spoiler alert, they finally get to White Castle. And they don't just order burgers and sit down and eat them. They're almost like worshiping the burgers. Like Kumar is like, smell. he puts the burger up to his nose and he's like sniffing it before he goes. That's <laughs> goes such a funny movie. Right into it. And it's just, it's a great eating scene. It makes you want to eat White Castle, which I try never to do. Because I don't think it doesn't make me feel good when I eat it. It makes me feel good when I eat it. It makes me feel terrible. And just so you know, White Castle is actually, this is odd. It's only, look, that's all it is. So it's in, it's just a little bit. It looks like it's in New York and New Jersey. I don't know if it's in Maine or anything further north. And then it's the Midwest. So, and then there's one uh, one other state in the West Coast, uh, Nevada. They only have 345 locations across 13 states. That was pretty daring that they decided to make a movie for something that is not in a lot of places. But if you had White Castle, you know, because I've done this. I've probably done this probably more times than I care to admit. And these, this is when I was young. When you go there, you know, you're like 10 burgers. Should I do 12? Should I get the chicken rings? Remember the chicken rings? They didn't even show that in, in uh, the movie. Yeah. So they're like rings of chicken that have a batter on them and then they're fried. It looks I like know. fried, it looks like calamari rings yeah. almost. Yeah, but then the, it's the little onions on the burgers that make them, and they're tiny burgers. That's why you can get 10 burgers, 15, or or like Harold and Kumar, 100 of them, you know? That's right. Yeah. All right. Hope I made you hungry there. Yeah. Okay, the next scene I've got is, again, like kind of hearkening back to to childhood, and that's Willy Wonka, the Gene Wilder version of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And there's a lot of food scenes in that movie, but my favorite is when they first enter the Chocolate Factory. And, you know, Gene Wilder singing that song, uh, Pure Imagination, I think it's called. Almost everything in the factory at that point is edible. So like somebody's like scooping out whipped cream out of a giant mushroom. And it's just, I don't know, to me, over every, the top. it is, it is. And everything looks good. Like it's like your childhood dreams coming true. Well, I don't want to keep disagree, uh, agreeing with Tara about everything. So this one didn't do too much for me. Even when I was a kid, when I saw it, I went back and watched it again, uh, you know, for this, doing research, and it didn't do too much for me. You're not a sweet person. Though. I'm not a sweet person, so that's probably it. I never saw the Johnny Depp version, so I, I don't, haven't either. I don't know if that's better or not. Well, they, now there's a Timothy Chalamet version coming out. You probably will know him from uh, Dune. Dune, yeah, Dune. If you saw Dune, but he's been in. He was in a movie with uh, uh, who's Michael Scott? What's the actor's name in real Steve life? Steve Carell. Steve Carell. All right, the next one, which I have to admit. I haven't watched the whole movie, but I am going to go back and watch it. It's called Eat, Drink, Man, Woman. And I came across the food scene. There's all sorts of different food being prepared. There's a fish that's getting fried, 
in in oil. There's a chicken that's being live chicken. He takes a live chicken. He that, has live frogs. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is in Taiwan, right? Where this takes place. That's right. Over that's the right. top food. I mean, um, very well done. I mean, like real gutting of the fish and really putting you there and. The food is just insane. Yeah, mm-hmm. he did a chicken. Uh, does the duck. Like the whole chicken in the pot. He did the Peking duck. He did uh, the braised pork belly. Uh, these are all very famous Chinese dishes. I don't know what he did with the frogs. I didn't see that one. But yeah, you know, and then just the most elaborate spread when they were when they were eating mm-hmm. uh, at the dinner table. My whole thing I was thinking was, how'd you keep the food all hot the whole time? Because yeah. that's always my biggest problem is how much of a stickler am I for this? It drives you a little nuts, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like everything needs to be perfect temperature for me to have succeeded 100% with a meal. So that was the only thing I was questioning when I just watched the scene again. I was like, eh, I was like, how do you keep that hot? You know, you can't put that in the microwave, that stuff. It would ruin it. No. And it, the the kitchen that they had didn't look like there were microwaves there. No, but he had a phone and stuff. So he, yeah. he did have some modern stuff. Yeah. 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 That was really I'll cool. tell you a little funny thing about that uh, that movie. So I assume this is how they do Peking ducks a lot in China, but there I have a smoker. It's called the Pit Barrel Smoker. So Pit Barrel is a relatively new company. Probably they've probably been around for ten years. This film was made in 1994. He basically did the Peking Duck in something that a barrel, you know, with the hooks and everything that looked exactly like my smoker. So obviously Pit Barrel borrowed the design, mm-hmm. which you know I think it's a stretch to say it's a design, but it does the job. It smokes really well. So you hang your meat by a hook. And then you put it on, basically it's a piece of black rebar for the pit barrel one. And you could do ribs, you could do chicken, you can do duck, which is what he did in the movie uh, for the Peking duck. But yeah, Peking duck is a big, big task. Chinese restaurants, I believe, use a commercial vacuum. It detaches the skin from the meat without pulling it off the duck completely. You need separation in order for it to get that crackling. Yeah, is that why... I know some Chinese restaurants, you have to, if you want to order a Peking duck when you're going there to eat, you have to let them know a day in advance. Yeah, there's really no Chinese restaurants, unless the Chinese restaurant, like if you go to Chinatown, whether you're, you know, in in the city or or, uh, in Queens, you know, their specialty might be Peking duck. But even some really famous Chinese restaurants, like there's one here in Long Island called Fortune Wheel. That's probably, probably one of the best Chinese restaurants. Um in Long Island, besides the ones that are in Flushing, but Flushing's not, Flushing is not technically Long Island. Flushing is in Queens. Queens, So. And I think Flushing is like a Korean population more than Chinese. Yeah, I mean, it it has both. I think the famous YouTube channel, Mang Chi, which is the Korean food, I think think that's where she's filming from. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. She's in the city somewhere, you know, but. I don't know if you've seen that channel and that's a great channel. She's so cute. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So my favorite movie for food and just a great movie in general is Chef. I agree. And that is with John Favreau, John Leguizamo, um, Sofia Vergara. And I can't remember the actor's name. Scarlett Johansson. Scarlett Johansson. But I can't remember the name of the actor that plays John Favreau's son in the movie. But he's he's incredible too. The whole movie is great. Um, but as far as food scenes go, if you love to watch food being prepared, I highly recommend watching Chef. There are a few different scenes in the movie in particular that I love. 
Um, do you want to talk about yours or do you, do you want me to yeah, talk well, about mine? First, I'll just say the, the kid's name uh, in the movie is per, is uh, Percy, but the actor is MJ Anthony. Okay. And Robert Downey Jr. is also in it. His name is Marvin. I don't remember where he was in that movie. Do you remember that? He must have had a very small role. I don't remember that. It's not surprising that Robert Downey Jr. was in it because John Favreau directs the Marvel movies. Uh, he directed Iron Man. So he probably became very close with Robert Downey Jr. So he was probably like, hey, you, you know, Robert, you want to be in this movie? Mm -hmm. Want a little bit of a role? So Dustin Hoffman was in it too. He was the restaurant owner, I think, right? And he was the restaurant owner. That's correct. And... The, um, yeah, there's a lot of people in this. Bobby Cannavale, Cannavale, okay? This guy, you might recognize him from uh, the Ant-Man, the Wasp, which okay. again, this, this is like the universe. You can, like, you can see a pattern in these movies when they're all casting the same people uh, in different genres. And then Oliver Platt was the really, was the food critic that Jon Favreau wanted to kill. Yeah, Remember? they had a Twitter fight. That movie was so well done. But anyway, that's, let's talk about the food. In it. Yeah, so I think probably the most well-known food scene from that movie is the alio olio pasta that he prepares for Scarlett Johansson when he's trying to, I guess, woo her, for lack of a better word. And they'll do it every time, every time, <laughs> it and every it's simple too. Yeah, and it's cheap. It's cheap aphrodisiac. That's right. <laughs> the scene shows him cooking the garlic and the pepper and the parsley. And Lots of parsley they use. He does a, use a ton of parsley, which ton I've of garlic. heard from Italians, not Italian-Americans, that Americans overuse parsley for aglio olio. There's not supposed to be that much. Like it's not supposed to be like a salsa verde or something like that. When he's done preparing it, he forms it into like a perfect little nest with the cooking t kitchen tweezers and then hands it over to her and she just takes a bite of it. And you could tell like, she's just like ready. She's ready, but she shouldn't <laughs> eat too much because then, then she won't be. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah. I get, you say like it. So it's in Italy. They say use they Americans use, you know what? This is, this is a thing. I'm going to go on a rant here a little bit. So be prepared. Um, <laughs> there's no perfect way to do anything. And you should not assume just because, there, it's been done a certain way in, say, Italy, because, you know, this is obviously an Italian dish. It can be improved on. Everything can be improved on. Everything can be remastered. Everything can be deconstructed, can be redone. We are not at the pinnacle of cuisine anywhere in the world, period. We will be making better food and probably better food movies, sorry to say, John Favreau, in the years to come. I would hope so. I would hope that, like, we're not at the pinnacle of everything. I mean, we could be at the pinnacle of some things, but you know, I would say with food, I'm always looking to try to do things better mm -hmm. and differently. That's the point. Yeah. You're not destroying the culture either. You're just doing a reinterpretation of it. But that is a big part of why we always say our food is Italian American. We like to sidestep and avoid the angry Italians. That's right. You know? Yes. I mean, I kind of agree with them there. You shouldn't have too much parsley in it because mm -hmm. then it could overwhelm. But maybe Scarlett Johansson really liked parsley and John Favreau knew that and he wanted to do it. Parsley for is kind of like, it's a freshness. It's a freshness herb. Mm -hmm. It's not a that much of a taste herb. Yeah. I like it. 
I do. I would if he handed me that bowl that he made with all that parsley, I would eat it. Uh, let's talk about some other scene, other parts of that movie, not just the alley oil. Yeah. So okay. one of my other favorite scenes is the grilled cheese sandwich he prepares for his son. It's what you would expect a chef to make for their kid. It's not just like a couple of craft singles slapped between two pieces of white bread. I think he used like three or four different cheeses. He made it perfectly. It was crisp. He used his giant chef's knife to cut it in half and, and give it to his son. Just overall, a well-done food scene and a grilled cheese sandwich that I would just love to eat. It's the simplest things that you can spend a lot of time on to perfect. Yeah. But yeah, what what can like make it better grilled cheese? It's the type of cheese you type use, cheese. obviously. Yeah. I mean, that's the most single most and important the bread. thing. The bread, the thickness. Now, I a lot of times people will use mayo, believe it or not, mm-hmm. in restaurants. You get a better, easier uh, grilled the butter sometimes can oversaturate and take a little bit too long. It's also the cut you do. Do you do a flat cut or do you do corner to corner? Mm-hmm. Because honestly, the corner to corner, when you bite it, that textural bite is a little different. You know, you're getting that end right away. So yeah. these are like, these are just those little things. Yeah. Now, what do you, do you serve it? Do you serve it with tomato soup? Grilled cheese just tastes better with tomato soup. It does. That's a good combo. You know? Mm-hmm. That's a classic combo. Another great scene from Chef is when he's teaching his son how to make the uh, Cubanos. And I'll mention one more scene that I loved. Actually, there's there's two more, but this one is more involved. It's the scene where they, they get their food truck up and running. They're going to sell the uh, Cubanos. And he's teaching his son how to use the panini press to properly make the Cubano sandwich. So he makes it. Uh, typical, uh, a Cuban sandwich, I think usually includes- That's what it's, Cubano is, it's a Cuban yeah, sandwich. Yeah, it's usually baguette, but it's got ham. Uh, actually, I don't know if it's baguette. It's ham, it's roast pork, pickles, Swiss cheese, mustard. Yes. And then I might be missing something else. No, I think that's, I think that's everything. And then it's put in a panini press- and then you eat it. But what he did with the first one that they made, he cut it into three. John Favreau, John Leguizamo, and, and MJ Anthony, they all eat it together. It's delicious. And then they go ahead and they make it for the rest of the guys that helped them uh, clean up the food truck. And they, they're wrapping it in the parchment paper. And it just, yeah. it, it looked, I mean, that whole movie is just, you want to eat everything in that they movie. They had the right consultants on that movie. They, it was like food industry experts. Everything was was perfect i thought it's a great sandwich i don't really know how to improve it i think one thing that could improve a cubano going right away would be some pickled onions on there i think that would kind of along with the pickles i think that could elevate it a tiny bit yeah but then you're messing with tradition you're you're messing with tradition but again that's back to what we were saying before can you are you allowed to are you able to do it? You know, if you do it now and, you know, in the PC era that we're in right now, people will say you're culturally appropriating something. You know, Jim, you're, you know, you can't do that. You're not Cuban, Jim. So like, you know, honestly, that's part of the reason why I don't make some recipes and whatnot. But if I did that, obviously I would give pr- proper attribution and uh, say that this is just my interpretation of it. It's inspired by. Inspired by. Right. Yeah. That's kind of my list of some of my favorite food scenes from movies. I know that there are others that we do need to watch. Um, For example, I think The Menu is a movie. And then 
Big Night. They make a timpano in that movie. We have to see both of those movies. That we need to watch. Very far apart. Big Night is 1995, and the other one, what is it, the other one? The Menu. The Menu is 2022, so those movies are almost 30 years apart. I wanted to spend a few minutes and just talk about some of the, like, worst, or not worst, but Overrated. And one thing I was struggling with is because there is an extremely iconic and memorable food scene from one particular movie. It's not food that I'd want to eat, but the food scene was done really, really well. What so is it? I, I don't know if it should fall in the best or the worst. And that's Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. It's a good and bad scene. It's not, you don't want to eat that food, but it's an amazingly, it's, 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 it's an unbelievably well done scene. Yeah, it's memorable. It's meant to turn the viewer off. Yeah, right? you're not supposed I mean, the to whole like those scene, worms. The, the, it's a snake. So oh, there's, an eyeball soup. there's 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 the snake surprise. There's the bugs that the guy <laughs> sucks the filling out of the bug. It looks like a breadcrumb mixture from like an artichoke or something. He's like sucking out of this beetle's butt. But and then it's the eyeball soup. Oh, and the monkey brains and the chilled monkey brains. Chilled monkey brains. <laughs> chilled a monkey brains. Ah, oh, you did it better than yes, me. Yes, because I've seen the movie like a thousand times and I could recite the entire thing start to finish. Anyway, so. The whole time, like, Kate Capshaw is her character. She's getting ready. Like, she asked if she could borrow Short Round's hat so she could puke in it. It's just her being repulsed by the food in that particular scene. And then later, Indiana Jones brings her a plate of fruit. So she's, like, very happy. And she eats an apple. And because that's Shield. filling her up. Shield. Do it again. Shield. Shield a monkey brain. <laughs> anyway, I don't even know if like those foods are actually would be served in oh, no. setting. It's like a royal banquet for a maharaja. Yeah. Like, I, I, of course, snakes are eaten. Of course, you know, organs of oh, yeah. monkeys are eaten. <clears throat> I just don't know if they're served in that fashion. Let's talk about uh, some of the other bad ones. Okay. Christmas vacation. Oh, the jello. The dinner scene. The jello mold. The jello mold with cat food on it. The, the turkey the that turkey deflated. That was put into early. I don't think it's bad. I think it was well done. The scene was well done. Yeah. But I, that's, and that's kind of what we're talking about here. We're talking about the food doesn't look good, but we're also talking about maybe the scene wasn't. I think both of them, Indiana Jones and Christmas Vacation, excelled at what they were trying to do. So the one that's coming up next is the one that's, I mentioned this in a video about a year ago. I did uh, lemon caper pasta with uh, toasted breadcrumbs. I was saying like one food scene that was supposed to be very, you know, cin like make you want to eat it and everything. They really failed hard, bad, but I didn't say what it was. So in the comments of the video, there's, there's like lots of people like, it's this one. I know it's this one. It's this one. And a couple people did answer it correct, but I don't think I responded. And Tara, what is that movie? Pig. Pig with Nicolas Cage. Yeah. And it wasn't like terrible it was just for me it was anti-climactic that food scene i thought it was going to be more along the lines of chef like that's what i would compare it to and i didn't get that same feeling when i watched the food scene in pig that i got from chef not, at all not, not, even, not even close not even close and let me tell you this movie gets a, this gets a 97 percent on rotten tomatoes so this is a highly rated movie they were saying that nicholas cage should have won an academy award for this i don't know i don't know if he was nominated but anyway just to sum it up really quickly what this movie is about it's living alone in the oregon wilderness a truffle hunter who's nicholas cage returns to portland to find the person who stole his beloved 
pig. So it's a has, truffle pig. His, it's a truffle pig. It's his pet, and he loves his pig. But Nicolas Cage in the movie was this amazing chef that burnt out. Okay? I think his wife died. Or his wife died. It was something like that. It was like, you know, that was like the conflict. So he wanted to be alone in the cabin. And what he did is with his with his truffle pig, who was his best friend, he would go hunting truffles and then he would to make a little bit of money, he would sell them to a guy who would come and pick them up. And, you know, there's some drama there and everything, but the guy, the scene at the end, who how, who was that guy? How was he related to Nicolas Cage? Was he the father-in-law? So him? I think he <clears throat> needs to make this meal for this guy so that the guy will tell him where his pig is. That's right. They stole the pig. So he needed the yeah, he wanted to get the pig back. So the guy who I think was like the father of Nicolas Cage's truffle agent, right? The kid in the car. Yeah. It's all I mean, it's very convoluted when you think about it. It's it's funny like what what becomes like these these highly rated movies. But yeah, he had to make this dinner for him and it was just they didn't have the right consultant. They should have whoever did this one and who was ever in charge of everything, the whole scene lighting the scene, the slow motion shots, everything should have consulted with uh, John Favreau's people and, and chef. I, I, I'm serious because yeah. it came out around the same time and the dichotomy is is vast. And by the way, even with that being bad, it, I don't think that really detracts too much from the movie. No, I mean, the movie, it was a, it was a good movie. There was a cut that he did in the chicken. Like it was a chicken or was it I like think a it was duck? A pigeon. It was a pigeon. He did this like rocking motion and it was like like this. Like he was like, like and it just looked so over the top bad and nobody would ever do something like that. And they included it in there. And I was like, that's ridiculous. I think you're gonna have people that are gonna disagree. I hope you take issue with some of the things I said today. I don't want you to agree with everything I said. Um, but I would say if you do take issue with what I'm saying here about pig. I would compare it to the movie Chef. The so pig is not about the food scenes, really. Pig is a is more Chef is more has a lot more food scenes in it. Yeah. So anyway, that's that one. Let's move on to. Is there any other bad ones? This isn't really a bad one, but it's something that you pointed out the other night. We were watching Megan. Oh, this is a good one to bring up right now because a lot of people are watching this movie. Yeah. So Megan is about an AI doll. So Megan is. It's a marvel of artificial intelligence, a lifelike doll that's programmed to be a child's greatest companion and a parent's greatest ally. Designed by Gemma, a brilliant roboticist, Megan can listen, watch, and learn as it plays the role of a friend and teacher, playmate, and protector. Then things go a little haywire, <laughs> but yeah, it's basically the the girl's uh, parents die and then Megan is made by the the aunt, the aunt takes custody of the kid and she's like this genius, but she's not good at being a parent because she's not a parent. And she then has to become a parent. So she designs this little doll named Megan that can do everything that a parent can do. Yeah, and things go wrong. And the movie is kind of like a horror, but it's also funny. It's a campy horror. It's yeah. a weird genre. I would I would equate it to child's play. Yeah, yeah. But better. But the so the food scene, and I think <laughs> when we saw it, we were both like, what the hell? There was a scene where... The, the little girl in the movie was eating a hot dog and it looked like the most it was unrealistic the f yeah. fake hot dog ever. Everything else about this movie was really top notch. Yeah. The cinematography was great. And you don't really get this much good stuff in horror movies. Horror movies are tend to be, I don't know, they're not so good and they're just not. Uh, 
We watched a bad one last night, and that that, that Sammy wanted to watch, so the four four of us watched it. But but this one, everything was good. It was really professionally done. It just it was it was good. The colors were good. Everything was good about it. But they needed a hot dog on set with like mustard and ketchup, and it was it was so big this hot dog, and it looked like a. Uh, ask uh, Fisher Price hot dog, yeah, like in, it didn't look real. In, a, in a fake bun, and um, yeah, if you don't believe me, take a look at it, or better yet, watch the movie. But that has nothing to do with the movie being good or bad. The movie was very, very entertaining. I would not say it's Oscar worthy. I was entertained the whole time I was watching it. There's like a MA one that like rated so that uh, I guess is more violent and stuff. But the one we watched, we were able to watch with our kids. All right, Jim, so let's move on to what's coming up next in this week. Um, The video, Thursday's YouTube video will be, well, you haven't decided. You're kind of in between two right now, and that's cucumber salad and salmon oregano. Many of you really enjoyed the whole New York Deli series we did, so we did potato salad, macaroni salad, and the most recent one is the coleslaw. I was very surprised that that you enjoyed them as much as you did. So, and I showed the cucumber salad that I was just working on as just, just a regular print recipe on the website. And so many people in that video, over a hundred people asked for that cucumber salad. So when you say something, when you, when you want something and you tell me like that. That will probably be the video that will come out. If for some reason it doesn't, it'll be salmon oregonata. Yeah. And then up on the blog for this coming week will be French onion soup and beef burgundy, two French recipes. I shot the both of them recently. They're both pretty involved, as is all French food. It's like takes just longer than doing Italian food, say. So there are a couple ways to speed it up. I've heard you can do them in a sheet pan in the oven. I heard you can do it in an Instapot or a slow cooker, but we're gonna do it the old fashioned way. We're gonna do it in a Dutch oven and you know, you kind of have to be there so you don't burn your onions. Delicious though, soup. And as far as the beef bourguignon goes, I have a feeling you will you will notice that mine is more simplified than some of the other recipes. And uh, probably gonna make a video for both of them too. But yep. they'll be on the website uh, pro- weeks prior to, to video form. All right, let's move on to questions. We have a question here from Jeremy. Jeremy wants to know if you've ever watched Chef Jean-Pierre and if you enjoy his channel. He thinks that you might have the same haters since Chef (laughs) Jean-Pierre points out that you can substitute an ingredient and don't need to follow a recipe 100%. So do you watch him and do you enjoy him? I have watched him. I think he's really entertaining. I, I can see why he's you know, he's becoming very popular. He's a professional chef, mm-hmm. Chef Jean-Pierre. So he's correctly calling himself a chef. And uh, he's very entertaining. I've learned a lot from him. And it's funny that I didn't know that he says about substituting the ingredients so much. But uh, I get what you're saying about the haters. I think the haters for that, they want certainty. So if you give them the ability to substitute, that creates ambiguity. They want to have it certain certain ingredients so they can place the blame squarely on you when they mess up the recipe. <laughs> That's what I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I, I mean, I really try to empower you. I want you to substitute and I try to give a lot of options on the fly. So that's another thing I noticed because his videos are similar to mine. I, I wish I had his setup because he's got a six burner uh, stove in the island looking at the camera. I, I love how he has everything set up. So to try to simulate kind of his setup, I have the little 
butane burners that, that I use because I don't I want to be talking to you. I don't want to be doing a voiceover to you like so many other YouTube channels do. Those other voiceover channels, they get more views and they do better with YouTube because there's nothing every single sentence and breath is edited. So it's like you'll be like, oh, I, I got to watch this over and over again. There was no t like timeout versus my videos and Chef Jean-Pierre. Chef Jean-Pierre is cracking jokes a lot of times. Like I watch him, he's like doing his dances and whatnot. That's what I like. I'm going to continue to do what I like and views be damned. You know, I like to have that personal relationship with you. We're cooking the thing together. That's what I want. It's basically old school food network before the food network went to shit, you know? I like Chef Jean-Pierre. Um, I think he has really good energy in a in a positive way like he seems like someone that's not intimidating and he makes cooking not intimidating and, and he comes from a position of knowing what the hell he's talking about he's not gonna he's not gonna care if some 24 year old from a reddit thread comes into his comments and goes you don't know anything chef jean-pierre i heard from blah 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 that you're not doing it in an optimal way he's probably like so do it the way you want to do it then. Like I, I, he's like, I've been a chef for 40, 50 years. Like you're going to tell me that I'm doing it wrong. And that's the greater point. There's a dozen ways to get to the finish line. All right. Next question is from Gary. And this is in response to the food fears episode. Gary shared that his cooking fear is deep frying. So he'll usually just avoid it and leave it to the restaurants. He feels that if you're not doing a lot of frying, using all that oil seems very wasteful. So what do you like what do you do with the leftover oil and do you have anything that you could suggest to to remedy Gary's fear of deep frying? So Gary, I would I get it. I can see how that's intimidating. Um is it intimidating or more he just doesn't want to waste the oil? It's both. I think it's both. If you're scared of the oil, you should rightfully be scared because you can really hurt yourself. And whenever I deep fry, I make sure the kids do not come in the kitchen. I let Tara know I have my Crocs on. I'm not kidding. Or some other shoe with good grip. You do not want to slip when you're frying. You know, safety-wise, on a regular stovetop, you could put the oil pan to the back of the stove and do your frying. You're gonna get a lot of splatter anyway, so stuff is gonna go all over the place. As far as doing the fry, I could see what's intimidating is about getting the target temperature correct, which is about 360 to 380 degrees you wanna be at. Once you put something in the oil, the temperature of the oil is gonna start lowering. It's just basic physics. You know, you're putting a cold, large amount of cold stuff in the oil, it's gonna lower, lower that oil temp. So sometimes between those fries, you'll notice like, oh, my first fry is a little burnt and now my second fry is good because your oil's a little bit lower. If you go through a little too low on your oil, it'll start to get a little soggy. There's a lot, there's some variables here, but overall, I, I try to instill in the videos, once you know your setup, you're gonna be really good at it. So for me, when I'm doing that oil and say I put it in a Dutch oven, an eight quart Dutch oven, and say I put the oil three inches high, I know it's going to take about 13 minutes for it to get to 370 degrees, and I know it's going to take about a five and a half on my temperature dial, okay, so that's a tiny bit above medium, and that's going to get me to that target temperature, because I've been doing it there for a long time. So on your stove, you'll know that too. 
As far as saving oil, I recommend you do save your oil. You strain it when you're done. Oil that's fried that you fried fish in, that can be problematic. It will make your next thing smell like fish, um, but not too much as long as you strain it properly. And you can do a very fine mesh strainer, like a cheesecloth, where you can really remove all the impurities from the oil and you pour it back into the bottle or another bottle and you will have oil that is ready to go again. You can mark that bottle and say for frying. You can do that a couple times. Most people, especially like how my grandmother did it and you know the depression era cooking, that is definitely what they did. Reusing the oil. Yeah. And it's not like, you know, if you're going to keep throwing away that much oil, it's it's very wasteful. Mm-hmm. Did that answer all the questionnaires? He worried about disposing of it or anything? Well, he did say, what do you do with the leftover oil? So I think you you did answer in that you can reuse it. But how? what is the best way to dispose of the oil? Because obviously you cannot pour that down the drain. Definitely don't pour it down the drain. It will clog your pipes. What will happen is a film will be created in the pipe and it will keep getting thicker and thicker. Eventually you won't have anything, any room to get for the water to go down your pipe. You can, if you call your local sanitation department, wherever you live, they're going to probably give you the same advice that the one here does, is that you can just throw it in the garbage. So they'll say, put it in a bottle. You know, uh, if you let it cool completely, you can put it in like a Ziploc bag and then you put it in your garbage and you throw it out with your garbage. They have places now that will come and take your oil from you, but they probably only, they probably have a minimum where it's got to be like five gallons or something. And they'll use that um, for like environmentally, like they like recycle the oil. They really? use it for another purpose. Yeah, I mean, in restaurants, a lot of restaurants do this, okay. like Chinese restaurants that are frying all the time. You know, they're supposed to, I, I, in fact, I think a lot of municipalities are like forcing restaurants to abide by these rules too. Huh, I didn't even know about yeah, that. Yeah, so, but for, for a home cook, what's gonna happen, Gary, most likely you're gonna fry once, you're gonna then fry maybe a month later. I mean, you're not going to be frying every day. So I can also see how you don't build up like kind of the muscle memory for that mm-hmm. to keep doing it. You're a little intimidating by frying too, right? Yeah. Like deep frying? I, yeah. I don't really enjoy deep frying. I've used the deep fryer for things like when I've made donuts and a handful of other things. But yeah, it's, I mean, not, it's not something I... So I don't do. a donut has to be deep fried. A zeppoli has to be deep fried. Yeah. You can't you can't shallow fry those. But when you're making pasta alla norma, you can shallow fry your eggplant. When you're mm-hmm. making chicken cutlets, you can shallow fry the cutlets. You don't need a lot of oil. You can shallow fry your meatballs. But when you're doing certain things like cannoli shells, you need a yes. lot of oil. That's okay? the other time. Or when I you're was doing trying pizza, to remember when remember I pizza used frita it. when I made yes. those. Yep. You're taking pizza dough and you're deep frying it. You need a lot of oil. Yeah. So that's, uh, I hope I answered your question. If you're going to deep fry, get a f- oil or a candy thermometer. To yeah, check candy the temperature. thermometer, $10, perfect. Put it on the side. But I'll tell you, once you do it a few times, you're not even going to need that thermometer anymore. You can check your oil if it's ready by taking a little bit of the flour, whatever breadcrumb mixture you're using, put it in. If it starts sizzling, you're good. You could also use a, the back of your wooden spoon and put it in the oil. If you start getting tiny little bubbles forming around your oil, you're right around that target temperature. Well, how do you know if I'm, you're over target temperature? If you put that like in there, it'll start bubbling aggressively, then you're too high. Mm-hmm. And if you're gonna reduce then at that point, you gotta lower it. You're gonna have to wait another five, six, seven minutes for it to come down the temperature. Hope that answered your question, Gary. We will see you next time. Don't forget, podcast at sippingfeast.com. Leave us your questions. Until next time.